Welcome to the Witches and Wine audio experience. basically a huge ceremony. If you use the word ritual, I would say like um, keto. So keto is like a kind of prayer ritual. They can last anywhere from like 30 minutes to like five hours. Um, it doesn't always have chanting and singing, but sometimes it does. It's it's like a light version of poop. Kut though is when you have to pull out all the stuff. So, like, if you go to a doctor and you need surgery, Kut is the equivalent of that surgery. And keto would be like an antibiotic that works for maybe three months. We were talking a little bit about like chaos magic and things like that. Really elaborate rituals. They're kind of seen as like, I don't know, a relic of the past, right? You, you, you draw yeah. a sigil, you throw a little bit of like herbs and stuff like that, and then that's it. So it's kind of like, what's the benefit to doing these like elaborate rituals? Like, do they work better? Well, the kud is like, since you're pulling out all the stops, right? Um, all the other rituals that we do is very light compared to that. Just the amount of time and energy, like I've mentioned, um, the amount of food and preparation offerings and stuff that goes into kut is insane. And like kut typically lasts anywhere between um, like one and three days. Um, obviously, the initiation kut is usually the most expensive and most timely. Um, and they are very strong because none of the other rituals really actively call down the gods to this plane. Um, Kut is really the only ceremony that induces gods to come down into the mudang to possess them, um, give out fortunes, uh, give out luck or whatever, advice. That's really the only time that they're, they're able to do that. But that's, that's the main benefit is that None of the other rituals in the tradition will give you that kind of technically face-to-face -face with your ancestors or your gods in that manner. Um, and gods are the ones that can, you know, answer your prayers and, like, tell you, like, why your husband left you um, and what you can do about that. And, like, it's, it's a lot easier for people to accept a lot of things that's going wrong in their life when they can get an answer from a god. <laughs> 
getting initiated into any tradition. It's a long process and um, becoming initiated, guys. It's not just like you like Google somebody and then you just like email them, hey, I want to learn more about becoming a Buddha or you know, becoming a voodoo priestess. Can I come visit you and live with you for like a week? That's not how it goes, right? So tell me about your initiation journey. So you were having these dreams, your mom was just like, what's going on? What happened after that? Um, so basically, all those other symptoms was what I attributed to Shinbyong before I knew what it was really. Um, and then my mom was like, okay, well, let's go talk to some Wudang, see what's going on. And usually that is what people, especially Koreans, will do is like, if there's something weird going on, you go see a Wudang. And if it's health related, you're going to see a doctor and a Wudang. <laughs> like, you, you don't just focus on the spiritual. Like, you, uh, you find purpose or answers in the mundane and the spiritual. Like, that's how our tradition works. It's not meant to be one way always. Um... So she found, she actually found an older, uh, elderly woman, Posa, up here, but she focused on, um, she focused on exorcisms, like that's really the only thing she could do is exorcisms and private prayer. So, like, she didn't have a shindan at all. She just prayed over, like, a huge, uh, earthenware pot, like the traditional Korean earthenware pot that was filled to the brim with rice and incense. Um, but yeah, so she tried talking to her, um, but she she was like, yeah, your daughter has bad spirits. Like, I can exercise them. And I was just like, but the dreams, though, I don't think that means bad spirits. And so, you know, my mom and I were just kind of, like, going back and forth for a little while. Like, we contacted, like, a handful of other mudangs, all of them in Korea, and they, we had Saji with them too, and all of them verified, like, yeah, no, like, she's destined to be a mudang, she needs to get her um, shinnerimku. So the shinnerimku is the initiation ceremony. Um, so all of them verified that, and I was like, okay, well, cool story. Didn't really think my life was going to go that way, but okay. And um, so at that point, it was just kind of going off of price. Like some of these, some of these mudangs were really legit. Trying to quote me like fifty thousand U.S. dollars, and I wasn't going to be walking away with all this. I was just going to be walking away with one set of training humble, and that's it. And I was like, no, I'm not doing that. That is crazy. Um, eventually, I did find uh, my Shinomini, my spirit mother. And, um, so I did Saju with her via internet and my spirit sister at the time, or she still is actually. Um, and you know, the moment like we saw each other, like she told me that her gods were like, help her, like just quote her this price. It's low compared to what you usually quote anyways. And, um, and you just, you just have to help her. So a lot of a lot of times during Saju, that's when uh, you know our gods tell us whatever the client needs to hear, and we kind of just parrot it out back to them. Um, for Saju, like especially with sessions like that, uh, our gods will tell us like, "Yeah, she's destined to be a mudang," or "Yeah, they need that kind of food," 
or like, no, they don't need anything. They're just being paranoid. What's Saju? So Saju is like, there's two different kind of ways, right? Um, but the Saju that most Wudong do is like a, is like Shinjo, which is like uh, God fortune telling. And that's, that's more accurate to what our brand of Saju is, is where uh, our gods tell us the answers to whatever the client is asking, and we tell it to them. Like, we're literally a mouthpiece of the gods. I know that Saju is really popular in Korea right now. Like, everyone and their dog is, like, learning Saju. You go on YouTube, there's, like, Saju learning channels. Saju books. Uh, I had coworkers in Korea who were studying Saju. Like, I didn't know that there was a Saju that's, like, kind of more, like, a... Channeling? Yeah, it's, it's um, it could be termed as like channeling mediumship, um, and a lot of us will even even with the gods, you know, just kind of talking in our ear or whatever. We still use like tools for divination and stuff, just to kind of verify what we're hearing is true and not just our ego talking. Because um, you know we're still human, like we're gonna we're gonna miss things. And um, so, like traditional methods or tools are like the rainbow colored flags, um, rice and coins, um, bell rattle. I know a fair number of them uh, use cards too now. Like tarot cards? Yeah, like tarot, oracle cards. Well, I'm guessing, because in Western magic, what we would usually do is before we throw a spell, we would do divination about the spell. Um, what somebody needs as a spell. Is that how you would also use Saju? Yeah, Saju is kind of like uh, the original appointment with a doctor when you have a problem. So the first appointment with the doctor is usually to diagnose the problem, right? Discuss what's going on, see what other um, solutions might work or might not work. Um, and that's that's a lot of what Saju typically is too, is where we kind of discuss with the client um, what their problems are and what our gods tell us the issue is and what the client should do to have the best outcome. Um, I, I tell that to a lot of clients that come to me asking things like, hey, I really want um, this and this, um, but I don't know why it's not going to work or blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, okay, well, we need to do a Saju session first so I can verify um, what exactly needs to be done because otherwise I'm just talking out my own ass <laughs> like I'm not I'm not asking my gods to answer you right now in a casual conversation like that they can't be bothered for something like that um, because I you know I have to go into my temple I have to greet them properly I have to make sure they're good and you know butter them up or whatever and then be like okay so can you tell me what's going on here and sometimes even then they don't really want to answer either Let's talk about kind of like the typical day of like a mudang, right? So what happens? Like somebody emails you, somebody calls you and says, I have an issue. And then how would you lead them through the process? If someone, okay, so basically if someone had, um, you know, called me up and was just like, so this is going on, I'm going to commission you for you know, whatever you need to do. Right? So I'll just be like, okay, so this is the amount that the gods are telling me they need. Um, and obviously, okay, so I know that a lot of people aren't really familiar with Korean culture and like this tradition particularly, um, they're just going to hear money, money, money. 
And that's totally fair because a lot of it is money, money, money. <laughs> um, and But that's like, our gods are very greedy spirits. Um, they want everything. And like they, a lot of them were human once, right? So they've lived life on earth. They know that we have bills to pay. They know we have to use money to be able to live, eat, shelter, um, stay clean, you know? Um, so a lot of the times they will get upset at their mudong if they just do everything for free. And like, honestly, before I got initiated, when I was, you know, trying to do side work as like a spirit worker or a witch or whatever, um, a lot of that time I really wanted to keep prices as low as possible or like volunteer, um, kind of stuff only. And so, like, the switch into this tradition where my gods are just like, no, you need to charge them this amount because we're not going to work otherwise. And I was just like, this is un uncomfortable. <laughs> um, but the way I, I had it explained to me was that it's, you're not going to go to a doctor or a massage therapist and have them do a service that they were trained to do for free. Like, and that's totally fair. Like, everybody, you know, especially in this kind of capitalist society, um, everybody has to be able to eat, has to be able to live, and it does take money. Um, sometimes they don't ask for money. Sometimes they'll ask for, like, a favor or, like, a different kind of gift. And um, during that time, I'll let the client know, like, hey, you don't have to pay me anything necessarily. Like, my gods want this instead. And so that that's fine. So you, uh, okay, so the client is just like, okay, so you move forward. Um, what do you guys do next? Uh, so it's depending on like what they need. A lot of the times they just need keto. Um, and keto is like a, a prayer ritual, right? So it's basically a light version of kut where um, I'll give whatever offerings they, they seem to want um, for that client. And it does depend on like what the client is asking to. Like is it just an A on a test, which is fairly easy to pull off or are they asking for their sick dog that's at the vet to pull through the night you know so like it's definitely um different levels of difficulty there that get put into the amount and um so keto is the main one um the other one i usually get asked for is like um obviously keto unspots you right um, the other one that we usually discuss a lot is like offering tables. Um, and offering tables is kind of like, uh, kind of like a buffet spread, like a smaller version of a buffet spread. Um, and obviously those can be kind of pricey too. So like if my shindang was bigger, like the typical kutdang, like a kut focused uh, temples that you can find on Google, um, those are huge. Like, they usually take up, like, half the wall of a house, and they just they go on for a freaking mile. Um, so, obviously, they need more food, more liquor to fill all that space. Candy, everything. Um, so, I just have the small one, so I don't have to worry about really as much of offerings like that. So, I am able to charge less for the offering tables. Um, offering tables are basically like a, a fancier keto. So like keto doesn't really have offerings like that, but 
the offering tables, um, they have this food, which obviously grabs the attention from the gods a lot easier um, because there's sustenance there. There's like, um, there's more, not necessarily respect, but like more earnestness from the side of the client because, you know, if you're more earnest in your heart with like what you're praying for, it's going to be easier for the gods to hear and they'll be a little more willing to try and help you. Um, so obviously the food and all that stuff will grab their attention a lot easier. So offering tables are more often suggested than keto, but obviously, you know, amount prices, especially with the kind of clients that we usually see, like obviously they're in some kind of, they're hurting some kind of way like in life. Um, usually it's money. And so, um, a lot of the times, like, they'll, they'll know that the offering tables will work out better for them, but they opt for keto instead because, well, first of all, keto's cheaper than offering tables, so that's an easier way to see if the gods are going to pay attention to them at all. And then, second, it's just going to be easier on their wallet, but the lasting effectiveness isn't. Um, as good as an offering table or could is going to be. Like, could is like years long kind of results, but keto is, I don't know, it's kind of more fickle. Like, I, I don't like suggesting keto um, just because the offering table just brings so much more to the client um, and lasts longer, I feel like. I mean, just from a magical point of view, that makes complete sense. Like, in Western magic, we're told, like, you have to give physical offerings. Like, a lot of criticism lobbed against chaos magic is that you're just imagining it, you know? Oh, I don't have to actually offer food. I can just imagine offering food. And it's saying, well, actually, if you want the results to happen in this world and not just your mental world, you got to anchor it down with, like, something from this world like food like exactly. or something like that so yeah mm -hmm. I, I mean just from that point of view like guys if you're doing magic okay and you want it to work better trust me figure out what the gods like and then offer that if the gods like cigarettes offers me you don't have to like cigarettes you just have to find out what the gods like okay mm -hmm. if you just imagine offering cigarettes okay yeah you can you know like not go to the convenience store you don't have to spend the money but you're you're going to basically get what you put the effort in for that's just, right. that's just what it's about. But, you know, like sometimes you just need the Kegel. So you have the Kegel, mm -hmm. you have the offering table, then the Kud is just like when you want results, like when you want almost like a guarantee. Exactly, yeah. And it's like um, Kud is definitely the the boss of the kind of ritual that we've got going on. Like let's say everything that we can do is a kind of weapon of arsenal. So Kud is like the lifesaver, you know? Um that's definitely what you, it's obviously very pricey. Like usually I, I see Kut being quoted like minimum 10,000 US dollars. Um, and so obviously with that kind of price, people are just going to be like, no, <laughs> but um, it's, it is worth it. And the fact that just having a Kut in general greatly helps your ancestral Han and your ancestral karmic sin get lifted and worked off a little bit. And so obviously that's going to make your ancestors happier. And then it just makes your life a lot easier. Um, it, 
it blesses you like it's um it's always like a a good fortune in the making kind of thing like when would a client typically decide i'm going to go all out usually it's when they are really worried or they um like they really have to have gone through some shit before they end up deciding on quote or they've already seen it happen and work like really well for someone else or themselves um a lot of uh shinomi's repeat clients um like they obviously they've gone to her before they've seen her quote work they've already commissioned her once and they're just like yep you did what i asked so i'm gonna just keep going to you and so they do like this one lady like she um she recently commissioned her for a quote for her um for her son and then there was one for like um an actor a, an up-and-coming actor in korea so he wanted quick done to like make himself more popular and so he had quick done for that flew back to korea two weeks later his show took off and like hit top chart ratings or whatever um and then there was like you know obviously bad health stuff like uh cancer like she healed um one client of cancer like over the next few days after that quote like it was completely gone like doctors were just like what the what did you do a lot of the murangs that are popular right now like especially overseas um you know like semi-famous ones or whatever they the way they initiate murangs these days isn't um the proper initiation ceremony like they'll call it that but obviously the client doesn't know any better so they're not going to ask and the ceremony itself is actually like one day um and a ceremony, initiation ceremony in our tradition should never be under three days um so they you know they'll quote like one day ceremony um and then they won't have a shindan set up like this like this is the bare minimum here like you still have offering bowls for liquor and water that you have to like refresh every day you have like all this stuff back here you need a table set up um but they don't have that they have like they have um prusa homini um which is the monk goddess um enshrined in the temple and their fan and their bell rattle and that's it and it's like that's not everything you need um and obviously you know some mudans will perform their initiation ceremonies a bit differently but the one saying like one days are wrong because it takes a lot of time for the godmother to you know ask you okay who do you see why are they here and then you constantly filter through all these spirits and all these gods and this godmother's like job is to pick out the ones that she notices there's a trend there's a good reason for them to be deified first of all and then um and if they're actually gonna keep their word and help you like they say they are um if those spirits that are coming through are trying to become deified but you know slack off and not do anything then a good mudang worth her salt will just be like no get out of here you're gonna be like exercise you're gonna get you're gonna pass on we're gonna pass you on um and that's why it's so important to find a good teacher is that um if the mudang 
picks the wrong gods, the wrong spirits, then you're basically screwed as a mudang. Like, um, I had a client recently, and she's she's been a mudang longer than me. Like, I remember reaching out to her at first when I started like looking into this stuff, and um, she had quoted me ten thousand dollars. I was like, awesome, cheap. And she was like, and your ceremony is going to be one day. And I was like, mm, nope, that doesn't sound right. And um, lo and behold, like, she has gone through, like, three different Mudong teachers. Like, and when you switch Mudong lineage teachers like that, you have to repeat your shinrin You have to repeat your ceremony. That's a lot of money to keep pouring out over and over and over. So she had come to me, and she's like, hey, so, you know, I've gone through this, and then my other... Uh, Mudang teachers or godmothers were able to like point out like my main um, my main god in my pantheon. Can you tell me? And I was like, okay. So we did Saju. Um, I saw a couple of her gods that um, the other ones weren't able to talk about, but she knew that she had them because they had come to her in her dreams. And um, and she's like, yeah, you're right. And so she's like, so what should I do? And I was like, okay, well, obviously you need to find a good Mudang teacher to get initiated to because you can't keep going the way you're going. Um, you're just like ruining yourself, you know? Well, you know, you mentioned before about how some Mudang, I mean, they're just not that good. Maybe mm -hmm. they get the right initiation, but if we keep it really real, maybe not all Mudangs are the same in terms of just skill. So what, like, what would make a mudang a really great mudang versus maybe not so great? So usually a really good mudang, um, you'll find patterns and they're not necessarily behavior, but like, um, duties. So like, a really good mudang, um, just using my spirit sister and spirit mother as an example, is that they're very studious, they um, keep up. Um, on their prayers and temple work to the T. Like they clean it multiple times a day. They pray for multiple hours a day. Um, and they have a lot of structure focused around their shinda and their gods. Um, it does also depend on the gods they have in their pantheon. So like really good Mudangs that clients will go to usually, um, they're able to, you know, do fortune telling really well. Like, my spirit sister will have a client walk in and she'll be able to tell them, like, oh, so your ancestor was this and they're telling me this, this, and this. Is that so? And the client will be like, yeah, how do you know that? And it's just like, that's kind of how one of the ways you can tell if a mudang is good or decent is like, they're able to tell you stuff like that. Like, they won't need to, like, cold, you know, ask you cold questions or whatever that fake psychics in America do. Um, but sometimes, you know, they will just ask questions to confirm what they're hearing. Like, um, like I had one that had an ancestor come through, and I was like, okay, so I'm getting really strong, like, inclinations of so-and-so. Um, does that, like, make sense to you? And they're just like... Well, yeah, actually, like we we have a lot of that, and so so on and so forth. Um, so there are like 
questions confirming what we're hearing, but it's not the same thing as, you know, cold questions. Um, another way that if Mudong is good is, like, if what they do for you works. So, obviously, people don't want to commission, like, a witch or, like, a shaman or whatever if the stuff they do doesn't work. Like, if you can't have your gods listen to you and um, answer those prayers for those clients, what good are you? <laughs> like, there's literally no reason for you to be doing what you're doing if you can't do what you're telling your clients you're going to do. But it's not, like, a... It's not a lot of hard things to find. Um, a bad mudang, however, you know, their character is really questionable. Their morals are really questionable. Um, you know, they're really, really lazy or, like, they're just really shitty people. Um, and there are, like, legit mudangs who are shitty people. And then there are scam artists who are saying that they're mudang who are shitty people. Um, either way, it sucks. Well, I mean, and, let me ask you, because know, you, on YouTube, like, if you go on the Korean side of YouTube, you'll see a lot of mudang. Like, they have, like, YouTube channels. They do, like, daily or weekly live streaming. I'm talking about the spirits. And it's so funny because so many of them, their, like, YouTube channel name will be, like, their name plus their cell phone number. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. It's right there. It's right there. And they're always just like, you got issues? Call me. And, you know, like, text me. I'm available all the time. Like, it seems as though, like, it's booming. That industry is, like, booming in Korea. And it's sort of like, well, how many of them are legit, number one? And number two, if they are legit, holy crap. Like, Korea's leading the way in terms of, you know, spiritual workers using social media to their benefit. Yeah, it's pretty crazy, like, the sudden upturn of, like, people wanting to go to mudangs and then people becoming mudangs. And then, like, if if you find a person online that's saying that they're mudang or paksu, but they can't prove that they underwent their initiation ceremony, they're probably going to be fake, and they don't know what they're talking about. Um... But yeah, a lot of a lot of mudangs are leaning heavily on social media, and I want to say it's just because in Korea, like most mudangs are around heavily populated areas. And also, I mean, Korea is like the home of esports, right? Like the best like mm. video game players are in Korea because the internet there is fast. It's I mean, I'm in Bali right now, and compared mm. to Korea, Bali is like in 1955, like speed <laughs> of the internet, you know. Versus in Korea, like, you can go to, like, Tokyo Island, I think. You could probably still get, like, internet there, you know? So the internet is in the subway, underground, high up in the sky, whatever. It's, like, you're constantly connected. And also, like, the entire phenomenon of live streaming in Korea is huge. I mean, like, Africa TV, which is kind of like Twitch. <laughs> 인터넷 인프라 발전과 동시에 전국에 약한 2만 개 정도의 PC방이 확 늘어나게 됩니다. PC방은 e스포츠를 하는 곳, 여럿이 모여서 체계적으로 스포츠화 되는 것을 배워나가는 곳. The internet is in the subway, underground, high up in the sky, whatever. It's like you're constantly connected. And also like the entire phenomenon of live streaming in Korea is huge. I mean like Africa TV, which is kind of like Twitch in a way, but not about gaming. Korea, like it's a very sophisticated system. 
and like so I've been looking on YouTube and there's like all these Korean like both male and female mudans talking like they're sitting in front of like they're wearing their hanbok they've got like the backdrop they're like sitting in front of like a low table talking about mm -hmm. spirits like every single day like and when I see that and I see so many of them it makes me wonder like how does a person know like is that the way to find like your buddha like is that a you know is that a legit way to like go on youtube and find them i'm like how would you find a buddha it's a lot harder like out of korea obviously um because out here particularly in the states um Murongs are only spread through word of mouth through korean community so again language barrier you're fucked um and then on top of that, you have to know the right people to ask about if they know a mudang nearby or like one, just no one in general. And um, so it's just generally easier for people to like go online and be like, mudang, oh, boom, like numbers right there. I can just text them really quick, see if they speak any English um, and see where it goes. Um, but I, I am happy to say like, you know, with the recent years and particularly I feel like within the last five or so years, um, more mudangs are popping up out in the States and around the world, um, the English speaking countries, and they are fluent in like English and stuff. So it's really awesome to see that there's more mudangs, you know, using English social media um, because a lot of people don't know about us or our tradition or anything and a lot of misinformation is still out there too. I can definitely see how somebody who is ethnically Korean might want to turn to a Buddha, right? Because Korean culture is so ancestor-centric, like everything about Korean culture is about venerating ancestors. We're Neo-Confucian. That means that we took Confucius' ideas and we're just like, he's not hardcore enough. We're going to go even harder. So Korea is like very, very, very deep into blood, your bloodline. It's all about bloodline. It's all about ancestors. I mean, we're really hardcore, even compared to other Asian countries. But what about a non-ethnic Korean? Can they use a mudang? And why would they use a mudang? So, um... Obviously, you don't have to be a Korean to go to a mudang and be like, can I um, get a keto, can I get a cool or whatever. Like, that's our job is, like, we have to be able to work with our gods and everybody else's spirits. And um, if we can't do that, then we're, you know, shitty mudang. Um, and so, like, you know, you don't have to be ethnically Korean to come to me and be like, I want to sod you, I want this and this. I'll be like, okay, cool, I got you. <laughs> um, it's it's not really... Our tradition isn't xenophobic in the way of um, helping the community. Um, like I said, it is initiatory. So um, most people who are initiated are Koreans, ethnically. But there are a sparse number of non-Koreans who end up getting initiated. Um, one of the popular ones that I, I remember reading about was a German lady. I, I'm actually friends with her on Facebook now. Um, she's she's super cool, really chill. Um, but yeah, she got initiated a little while ago. She didn't speak any Korean, so she has to have a translator with her. 
um, whenever she goes to a coup or like whenever she talks to her teacher. Um, and then in my own spirit family, we had a, uh, um, a non-Korean guy get initiated, even though we, our spirit mother felt like he wasn't meant to be at Paksu. Um, one of her spirit daughters that initially had the Saji with him, um, and her spirit told him that he was. So, usually in those cases, our spirit mother will, you know, take our word for it. They'll be like, you know, well, okay, your gods are telling you this for a reason, so let's go ahead and go off of that. Like, she's very humble and down to earth. Um, so, she was just like, okay, so we'll go ahead and do this. She made proof for him. Um, so, throughout the initiation ceremony, we go through a bunch of different tests to make sure that we actually are receiving gods in us. Um, that the gods are who they say they are, and um, just to kind of show, like, that we're really meant to be a Muda. And so if we take the tests and we fail, then it's a really bad omen. It's just kind of like, oh, okay, so you're not meant to be a Muda, and you really should not be doing any of this stuff, so get out of here. Um, so that kind of happened with his... Uh, his portion of the test where, you know, some, some Mudong's test will be to um, balance on the Chakdu blades, which are those sharp, you know, blades that you, you usually see Mudong do, um, balancing on those with bare feet, or balancing on um, a small, narrow, like, earthenware pot, like traditional Korean style, um, with your bare feet and, like, that are wet. And so you have to kind of like balance on the edge of the pot. So either you're riding the blade or you're riding the water. You're actually being chosen to be a mudang. You're not going to slip and fall in like that. You're not going to slip and fall, period. Um, but yeah, so, you know, he that happened. And everybody just kind of like side-eyed each other, being like, oh, no. So they just kind of went through the whole thing and finished it out. And at the end, you know, he, he just disappeared. Like, he... He went off and did his own thing. No one heard from him, and like no one knew what happened. And then it turns out like he he fell back into alcoholism and drugs. I mean, you mentioned before like Shinbyong, which is sort of the hallmark of you know like people who are supposed to go into this mudang journey. Right? So it's like your life goes to shit for a while. You get health problems. Your people die. And, from what I heard, if you get Xinjiang, it's like doctors can't explain why you're sick. You have such bad luck for like such an extended period of time. And if you deny the Mudan path, it just gets worse and worse and worse. So, I mean, then the question is, if like some people just deny it, like forever, and then the, the spirits have to go to the next person in line. Like, how does that work? Like, is that what happened to your mom? Like, did she go through Shingyong? And, like, was she just sort of like, no! And, and then, like, her life didn't, like, you know, like, it was, like, not peaceful? Yeah, so, like, her, um, she was supposed to be, uh, Mudong, which I think you'll come to find a lot of Mudong stories will kind of start out like that. Either their mother or their aunt or grandmother or whatever was supposed to be Mudong, but none of them said, okay. So it kind of just fell down to the next girl or whatever. And um, so my mom was supposed to be one. 
Um, but she never realized, you know, the signs or anything. She never really believed that stuff. Like, she saw, she saw a coot when she was a little girl, and that was it. Like, she didn't, she didn't see it in person, and she didn't go to any, she didn't, you know. She, like, both her and my dad are fairly skeptical people. Um, so she never really believed that stuff. She was superstitious in the typical Korean cultural way, <laughs> where you're just kind of like, okay, well, I don't really believe it, but we'll go ahead and do it just because, see what happens. Um, so she's like that, but other than that, she's, she's pretty skeptical. And um, so she, you know, she was going through her life. It was, you know, pretty shitty. She did drugs for a little while. Um, and then she married my dad. And the environment was very toxic. Um, they were not good for each other. And so, of course, toxicity tends to breed into, like, abuse, which it did. Um, and it was, you know, she, she never really realized it from there either. Um, and it didn't really occur to her that anybody could have been being called to be a mudong in our family um, until I had brought up those dreams and the symptoms I was having to her. So how do you know if, let's say that you're an ethnic Korean person, and your life is shitty right now, how do you know if it's just like, it's just shitty because you're going through that phase, and you're making bad life choices because, you know, you got issues, versus it's shinbyeong? What's the difference? Well, so basically, um, the only way you'd ever really know for sure is by getting the diagnosis, right? So getting side done by a muda. Um, other than that, it's like, it's going to be super hard to tell because ancestors can influence so much. Like, even if you don't have Shinbyong, like, let's say you just have, like, angry ancestors or whatever, and they're not necessarily choosing you for anything, they're just upset they haven't had offerings in, like, 10 years. Um, so, you know, they're upset, so them being upset affects your life and makes it so you're going through a rough time, um it's going to be very hard to tell by yourself. Um, one particular way I would say is like, if you're having any dreams of like gods or ancestors coming to you, like that's a, that seems like a pretty obvious one to me. Um, but usually it's, it's going to be near impossible to tell if it's Shinbyong, your ancestors, or just you, unless you get Saju done. Like, that's why Saju is so important for, like, a first meeting kind of thing to just figure out what's going on and why. Um, there's a lot of reasons that could be going into why your life is being shitty. Like, um, so let's see, uh, Lunar New Year 2019, um, so, like, there's Samje. Every sign has, like, three years bad luck. And um, the first year isn't so bad, but it's kind of like a snowball at the top of a hill or an, a start of an avalanche. So, like, it starts off okay, kind of slow, and then it just, like, crashes and you're suffocating and die. Um, so it's kind of like that with Samjay, where it's, like, the first year is, you know, kind of whatever. Second year is a little bit worse, and you're just like, okay, this is, like, not too cool. And then third year is typically where it all kind of crashes. It's, like, it can be a lot for people. Um, I know mine is actually coming up in this 2019 because I'm here, the snake. But, um, yeah, I know snake year is, is this year, so if you guys are snakes, then have fun with that. <laughs> 
in a lot of ways, the Korean American community is like the African American community. Church is the center of everything. Mm -hmm. It's like one of the first questions people ask you if you're Korean American is, what's your name? How old are you? What church do you go to? Mm -hmm. That's how they know you. And the thing is, is that you like go to like Mr. Kim who goes to your church, you go to his auto shop. You go to the restaurants of other church members. You like stick within your Korean American church crew for like your entire life. And it's easy to be in this bubble. And people don't realize this Christians, like Korean Christianity is some of the most hardcore Christianity in the world. There's more martyrs from Korea than almost any other country in the world, like the Catholic church. In Rome, mm -hmm. the Vatican City is just like, so many martyrs from Korea. It's just like, I know. <laughs> and, and the thing is, is, Christians and Catholics only make up about like 20% of the Korean population, but they're in many of the positions of power because a lot of the universities, uh, a lot of the higher learning are, you know, they're founded by Christian missionaries. So there was also that going on. So mm -hmm. just the entire Christian thing is like a big deal in Korean culture, but the Muna path, it seems to be more like meshed with Buddhism rather than Christianity. So the Korean Christians who are coming to you, they're kind of getting a dose of, first of all, shamanism, but also like Buddhism. Yeah, it's really funny just because like, there are some cults in Korea that mesh Christianity and Muslim. Like for real, they, they like the priests or whatever will be like, I can bring Jesus into my body and heal you and do basically everything that us Mudangs do without the title and without the tie to our tradition and be like, Christianity, Jesus, save your soul, and this is how you do it, I got you. And then they're just like, yeah, I'm all about that. But then they see similarities to Muso and how we're doing things and they're just like, demons. Yes. That's what I'm thinking, like... Because you're not dealing directly with like, you know, Hananim, like the heavenly Christian God, and instead you're bringing in all these other deities. Um, don't Christians like consider like what you do to be demonic at best? Right, like I've always thought it was kind of weird with the Christian clients I had. Like, they, they trust enough in my gods, but they will still go out and be like, Devils, though. Like, I don't understand the, the logic there. It just, it never really made sense to me, but I'm a very, like, logical kind of person. Like, I go from point A, B, C, and there's reasons for those. But for, like, thinking like that, I have no idea. Like, I can't even begin to comprehend. Sometimes I feel as though Korean culture, even though it's, like, super, like, angsty and a little bit emo, it's also really practical. It's sort of like, yeah, I'm Christian, but uh, I, I really want to make sure I have all my bases covered so that my kid goes to Harvard. So, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, let's go to the Muda. Why not? <laughs> I mean, Koreans are super, super, super practical. And that's one of the things that I kind of found that when I was in Korea, like, it's one of the huge complaints that I got from Westerners was, really, really, really boring for me to talk to Koreans because they only talk about food, they talk about, you know, like very like mundane things. And I was thinking about it and I was like, but that's not Korean culture. Koreans are some of the most spiritually hungry people that I know. 
And mm. not just for spirituality, but just in terms of like, what's the meaning of life? Like um, Alain de Botton, that famous philosopher. And I'm being both very respectful and completely impious of stealing from religions. If you don't believe in a religion, there's nothing wrong with picking and mixing, with taking out the best sides of religion. He started the first uh, school of life philosophy school in Seoul. He could have chosen Tokyo, he could have chosen Shanghai, he chose Seoul. So mm -hmm. it's so surprising to me, or should I say it's very, uh, there's something very, there's a dichotomy in the Korean spirit, super practical, super, I want the hot husband, the kids go to Harvard, and I want money, money, money to get plastic surgery so that I look like I've come up face. But at the same time, it's like, but I also question the meaning of life, and just inside my DNA and blood, there's this entire war and comfort women, and you abandoned me at the side of the road in a past life, but I, I still am drawn to you because we have that chong, you know, which is a very <laughs> Korean word, chong. There's no literal English translation for it, but chong basically is sort of like a connection that you have. It's like a tie that you have. You can have chong with an enemy. Like Thor and Loki in the Avengers movies, they have chong, you know? Yeah, definitely. But, yeah. But it's like this deep connection you have where you just cannot let go of a person. And I don't know about you, but I have a shit ton of chong. Like, I meet you, I talk to you once or twice, and it's like, from that point on, you and I are connected. Yeah, exactly. And it's just like, it's really, like, funny how that happens, too. Because it's, it's always going to be people you don't really expect that with. And then um, it's just, like, constant reoccurring things that just keep pulling you together. And you're just like... Something's going on here. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about you, but for me, it's sort of like as soon as I talk to somebody, it could be somebody on a bus or whatever, if like a day later they were to come to me and ask me for a favor because of the chong that's already been built up between us, I wouldn't be able to say no. And I think that's one of the reasons why like a lot of people accuse Asians of being a little standoffish. Like they don't know you and they're just like not super friendly. But I think a lot of it is, once they have that conversation with you, it's like, now they know you, the chong has been established, and so from that point on, they can't, they can't just ignore you. They have to be there for you. Which is why I think Koreans also, like culturally, they're some of the best friends you could ever have. They're like gonna be there for you. They're like totally ride or die. Like Koreans like, are <laughs> so ride or die. Like you meet a Korean person once, and you have drinks with them once, from that point on, if you need to move, if you need any sort of favor, they will, without even being asked, they will come and help you because they know. Or, or like legit, if you call them up like months later, middle of the night, and you're just like, I'm stranded, I need a ride. They'll be like, All right, let me know where you're at. I'll come get you. And there was a, an occult conference in Berlin that happened not that long ago, and there was a talk at this conference in Berlin about. Mudangs and Korean shamanism that was being given by some white dude. Like, he probably did a lot of research and probably had lots of great information. But one of the things that's starting to disturb me is when, like, mainly white men start to dominate the conversation about this practice that is, like, indigenous female practitioners mainly. Mm -hmm. um, so that's also one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you. I actually started like a group um, a little right before I got initiated was 
uh, I based it off of the Korean Worshippers Association in Korea. So that's like, that association is like a, the proper association all mudongs like register with. Um, but they're obviously based in Korea and we don't have anything like that out here. So I started a, a secret Facebook group for Korean diaspora um, just to have like a centralized location for uh, Korean American mudongs or like, you know, Korean like Gyopo in general, and um, lay, lay people too. Like they don't have to be Mudangs to be a part of it. And it's just like a centralized location. And I found that like um, me and my spirit sisters, like because we're bilingual, well not me, but she's bilingual. And so like we found that we've had an easier time reaching out to a bunch of Koreans who can't speak Korean and they just didn't know any of these things and it answered so much for them um, and it's just like it's really humbling to kind of be that source of guiding light and you really have to be careful with how you handle them and then like um, just making sure you're giving off the right impression too because you you need to be like a, basically a teacher like they they're trusting in you to help guide them and if you can't do it right um then you're messing up someone's life it was really fun talking to you and again loving the gucci gang humbug i wish that i had a humbug <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah thank you so much for talking to me Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to the Witches and Wine audio experience. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting me on Patreon. You can choose between a few membership tiers. They're super affordable and flexible. Your membership helps me continue making videos, podcasts, articles, lots of different things about all the sweet witchy stuff. Links are in the show notes. Also, don't forget to go on iTunes and give this a five-star rating. Each five-star rating helps rank this podcast higher in searches so that as many witches can find and enjoy these episodes as well. Until next time, this is Chawan, signing off. <laughs>